Live from New York, I'm Richard Quest in today for Julia Chatterley. I need it all this week. This is First Move, and here's what you need to know. Stimulus has been secured in Congress as it approves a $900 billion COVID plan. Borders are closed. UK ports remain cut off over fears of COVID spread. And BioNTech's CEO says he's confident vaccines will work on the new variant of the virus. It is Tuesday in Christmas week. Let's make a move. And a very good day and a warm welcome to First Move. We look at the markets at the start, as we always do. And the futures in the US are pointing to a mostly higher open after a volatile day on Monday. Bit of a mixed bag, though, if you look at the, the Dow futures. Remember, on Monday, stocks were whipsawed by positive vaccine and stimulus news. On the one hand, on the other, it was the concern about the spread of COVID, the new COVID variant. A lot of questions about how contagious this new variant actually is how far it has spread, which countries are affected. So far, there is nothing to suggest that this new variant is resistant to the current vaccines being rolled out. Europe's bouncing back from Monday's steep losses. Uh, the Zetradax up a percent. Paris similarly amounted the worst sell-off yesterday, where in some two months. So far, more than 30 countries have banned travel to and from the UK where the variant's prevalent. That's why maybe the UK is still laggard. It's not joining in the rally in the, to the same extent as the other European bourses. Reports say EU officials are urging member states to lift restrictions soon with the UK. Asia's closed and it closed down with Chinese shares falling almost 2%. The virus fears has dented sentiment and feelings uh, there, one and three quarters. And so let's get to the drivers and begin with another huge story here in the U.S. After many months of sparring and stalemate, the U.S. Congress has at last approved a $900 billion stimulus deal that's so urgently needed by families desperately struggling to make ends meet across the United States. Suzanne Malveaux with me from Capitol Hill. Suzanne, this is a behemoth of a bill. It's got everything, including the kitchen sink in it somewhere. But the crucial parts, those that relate to helping those people who have, that is important. Absolutely. I mean, this really is the second largest stimulus package in U.S. history. Uh, the other one was back in March. And so, yes, there's a lot of moving parts to this. And of course, big question, just how soon can people get the desperate help they need? It was just before midnight that the Senate followed the House in passing this legislation. But it is not what President Trump actually signed just before one o'clock this morning. He signed a five-day extension to keep the government funded and running until December 28th to allow for the paperwork and the process to get to his desk to sign off on COVID relief. But it's two parts. It's $1.4 trillion in the spending bill to keep the government funded through September and also this $900 billion COVID relief package. How does it break down? Well, most people taking a very good look at that $600 direct payment, direct check there to those making seventy-five under $75,000, uh, also to children as well. We are looking at $300 per week uh, boost in unemployment benefits, which was set to 
to expire after Christmas, $284 billion for emergency small business loans, $20 billion for purchasing vaccines, $8 billion for distribution, and a one-month extension in terms of eviction. Uh, people were due to be evicted at the end of this month. They have one month until the end of January. Big question, how soon can people get that money in their pockets? The Secretary of Treasury, Steve Mnuchin, saying that he thinks it's going to be just within days, not weeks. Take a listen. I expect we'll get the money out by the beginning of next week. $2,400 for a family of four, so much needed relief just in time for the holidays. This is now much more targeted. Uh, I expect it's needed in a, in a short period of time. And I think this will take us through the recovery. Richard, there are a lot of people who disagree with him in terms of taking through the recovery. Many Democrats already saying that they're going to have to request another stimulus package in the beginning of next year under the Biden administration, that that, that much-needed money to state and local authorities, those governments, uh, it just means that it's going to be still a lot of suffering that's going to take place. Uh, I noticed that, uh, that this is only a one-month moratorium for evictions. Um, bearing in mind that moratorium will expire pretty much in the dead of winter in January, when the virus is not expected to have gone away, and we don't expect in winter uh, an improvement in the job situation. I mean, why only one month? We're going to be back here again. And that certainly was one of the compromises and one of the points a lot of people are making, the Democrats saying that that barely moves the needle. One of the other things that is in the stimulus package is rental assistance, which goes for another couple of more months that potentially keeps those folks in their homes. But you bring up a very good point is that there's so many different uh, angles to come at this where it is just going to be devastating for so many people that that is not going to be enough of a window of time, essentially, to address that concern. Uh, there are uh, some different groups, if you will, in terms of when they're going to get those direct checks. There are those who are already in the IRS's system. They can get direct deposit, deposit, Maybe they can get those unemployment benefits and those checks right away. But then you have another whole group that is relying on check by mail, uh, debit cards, and then a whole other group that is not in the system, doesn't normally even file for taxes, tax returns, who actually ha they have to find those folks and make sure they get their information in the system just to even get that direct check. So there are going to be a lot of challenges, Richard, as you point out. Suzanne Lavo, who is on Capitol Hill. Suzanne, thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, turning to the UK, says it's working with France to lift border closures. Travel ties to Britain were cut by many countries after the discovery of a new COVID-19 variant. The US has not yet banned flights, but major airlines flying to New York agreed to test all passengers. The French ban has led to gridlock at the port of Dover in England, a vital crossing point into Europe. Salma Abdelaziz is with me. All right. Now, this is uh, it's bordering on chaos in the sense that the, you've got the trucks in long lines, you've got the, tunnel, the tunnel closed, you've got no crossings, and now the drivers are being told what? Well, this is exactly what we're trying to figure out, Richard. That's why I'm at this location here. Essentially, we've been speaking to these drivers who are parked in every empty corner you can find in Dover, along the highway, up into the next town of Kent. One of the drivers I spoke to said, 
I was told, and several of them said this, I was told to go get tested, although there's not an agreement yet between the UK and France. And he handed me this sheet of paper, which he says the authorities gave, gave him. We've come to this address. No one here will confirm to me what's happening, but it is a COVID testing center. And I'm just going to let uh, Lee, our camerawoman, pan around here just to show you what's happening. Truck after truck after truck is coming in. It has been an endless line since we have arrived. And they are being instructed, essentially, into what is a disused airport, a massive airfield that we drove past on our way here, where you can see dozens of trucks lined up waiting, essentially, to get the testing. And again, I want to remind everyone, here's the crucial part. There's no agreement yet. We understand the French and the British are uh, speaking about the possibility of COVID testing, but this seems to be an anticipation of any agreement that these drivers are here to try to get tested. But this is a massive logistical feat, Richard. I, I just can't explain to you how many hundreds of drivers from how many different countries. And quite crucially, if someone tests positive, where are they going to isolate? Who's paying for these tests? How is this all going to work, Richard? We're trying to find out. Right. So uh, let's just pause for a second. So the trucks are arriving. First of all, are they even being tested? I mean, when they get there, are they expected? And is there a test? And how do they get the results? And please feel absolutely free to say you've no idea. Well, part of my answer is going to be, I have no idea. And to be frank, I don't think the authorities have any idea yet. There's an important part to remember here. There's different types of tests. Not all tests are uh, are approved or, or agreed with in the same way. You have a lateral flow test. You have the fast test. You have tests that take three to four days. How many days will these tests take to get the results? What type of tests are they using? What authorities will acknowledge the results of these tests? Who will pay for these tests? Who will administer these tests? Uh, there's talks of maybe the military needing to administer these tests in France. Will it be medical workers? Will it be the military? So many questions and a massive logistical nightmare. And yes, of course, this is important for the drivers to get home for Christmas. Many of them have essentially told me they've given up. They're not going to make it home to their families. But it's not just about these drivers and their well-being. It's about the cargo in these trucks, Richard. This is a vital and crucial supply line for this country. And it is cut off right now. You are talking about food, medicine. Really, we are talking here potentially about shortages, empty grocery stores during the holidays. Richard. Salman Abdul Aziz, thank you. Yeah, our own Fred Plykin spoke to the in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the BioNTech CEO a short time ago. Dr. Erga Sahin says he's confident that the current vaccine will work on the new COVID variant, but they're still testing. Take a listen. There's a high likelihood that the vaccine response will be able also to inactivate this virus because you have to consider that even though nine amino acids are changed in this protein, 99% of the protein is not changed. And we know that our vaccine induces immune responses against multiple regions of this protein, uh, multiple T-cell responses and multiple uh, antibody binding regions, so that there is a scientific confidence um, that the virus will not just be able to escape. But let's wait for the validation to get the data. And we will, of course, update once we have the data. And how long is that validation going to, going to take? And is there any sort of anything early right now that you can already maybe share with us as to how that's going? So the, the experimental testing will, will take about two weeks because we have to synthesize this variant. But what we already did is we, we evaluated uh, the sites where we have observed T-cell responses against, against the spike protein. And we see that almost all sites uh, where we have seen T-cell responses are still conserved.
Yeah. Uh, so that is that, that is a good message. That means at least one component of the immune system will not be affected uh, um, by 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 these mutations. Mm. But you're still confident that that basically life yes, could I'm return confident. to some form of normalcy, maybe in the latter half no, of next this year. Is, um, the evolution of this virus is still relatively limited. They are uh, just still one percent of the of the spike protein, and we should not forget that we have still the opportunity, if required, uh, to uh, adjust the vaccine exactly to this to this new virus variant, if this is needed. I don't think that this is needed, but if it would be needed, there's a technical possibility to do that. Fascinating. As you heard, Pfizer, BioNTech and also Moderna are testing their vaccines on the new variant. The top coronavirus expert in the US, Dr. Fauci, is scheduled to get his jab in the next hour. He says the UK variant's probably already in the United States. Our senior medical correspondent, Elizabeth Cohen, is with me. How do they do this? I mean, how do they test the existing vaccine against a new variant and do it in relatively, I mean, if you try talk about a stage three trial, you'd be roping in, I presume, loads of people in the UK because that's where it is. So, Richard, I'm going to give you two answers. In order to sort of get an idea whether the vaccine will work well against this variant, there's some computer analyses that you can do to see the way we set this up, the way we set this vaccine up to work, will it work against this variant? And that's actually relatively quick. And I've spoken to a number of scientists who are working on this right now. But if you and that gives you sort of an answer that gives you sort of a 30,000 foot view answer. If you want an, a, a real 100 percent, here's we know we're as close to 100% as we ever get answer. What you have to do is more work. You do work in the lab. You do work with animals to see how well the vaccine works uh, against this new variant. But you can get a a reasonable idea just by doing a relatively quick computer analysis. And those analyses are going on as we speak in labs in the UK, in the US and elsewhere. Right. But but help me understand this. Look, the flu vaccine people take every year because the, the, the vaccine, the nature of that vaccine, it doesn't last longer than 12 months. And there are mutations and different strains which have to be accounted for. So why wouldn't this be the same thing in the sense that next year there has to be another COVID vaccine be, to account for changes and whatever? Richard, that's possible. I'm glad you brought up the flu because we know the flu really well. The flu has been around for a long time. There are many, many experts around the world who live and breathe the flu. I don't mean that literally, but who know everything about the flu basically that there is to know. This virus, it hasn't even been with us for a full year yet. And so there's so much that we don't know. So is it possible that we will have to update the vaccine every year? Yes, that's possible. Is it possible that the vaccine that's put out at any given time uh, that a variant might come up and it won't be quite as useful against that variant as it was against previous variants, that's also possible. Remember how early on we are in this fight. It's easy to forget because we get these vaccines out so quickly, but still, there is so much we don't know about this virus. Very good point. Early days. Elizabeth, thank you. Good to see you. Thank you. To Asia now, where Taiwan is reporting its first domestic coronavirus case since April. The new infection ends a 255-day run without local transmission. Stephen Zhang is with me. He's live in Beijing. Now, the important thing here is local transmission, community spread of the virus. There have been cases, just not community spread. So what's gone wrong? What's happened here? 
Well, Richard, you know, we're talking about this one local case there because this island had been so successful in uh, containing this virus until Tuesday. So the health authorities there say this local case was a woman in her 30s who was a close contact with a recent imported case, a pilot from New Zealand who flew to the U.S. in late November before returning to the island in early December. And the two of them had close contact between December 8th and 12th. And this pilot is actually now facing a potential fine of over 10,000 U.S. dollars because, according to the authorities, he failed to disclose his activities during the very strict contact tracing process. And apparently he had also been to quite a few popular uh, spots in Taipei without telling the authorities. So now the general public has been advised to uh, monitor their health if they have been to the same locations during the same period of time and uh, seek medical attention if symptoms do appear. Now, this, of course, is interesting in Taiwan because uh, up till Tuesday, this island had been hailed as a success story in containing this virus with this uh, place uh, of 23 million people reporting just over 700 cases without the government having to impose strict lockdowns or other draconian measures you have seen in places like China. The government there had attributed their success to early screenings, mass testing, and effective contact tracing, as well as severe punishment for anyone who breaches quarantine rules. Richard, one recent example is a migrant worker got a fine of 3,500 U.S. dollars for stepping out of his quarantine hotel room for just eight seconds. But despite all that, this latest local case does show the difficulties in containing this virus, even in places where it's been largely stamped out. Richard. Uh, Stephen, thank you. Now to the stories making headlines around the world. Israel's unity government appears to be on the brink of collapse unless it agrees to a 2020 budget tonight. The Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his main rival Benny Gantz have been locked in a battle for months. If they can't agree, Israel could face its fourth election in two years. White House senior advisor Jared Kushner is leading an Israeli delegation on a landmark trip to Rabat. Israel and Morocco have normalized relations earlier this month after U.S. brokered talks. The flight from Tel Aviv was meant to highlight progress between the two countries. As we continue on First Move, UPS says it is ready to distribute the Pfizer vaccine in Europe. I'll speak to the president of UPS International. Apple's reportedly aiming to put a passenger car on the road by 2024. We'll get the details on that. Well, welcome back. It's First Move. I'm Richard in Virginia this week. And we're live in New York, where there's still looking mostly higher open for U.S. stocks. Investors hoping that newly passed a basically trillion dollar, $900 billion emergency aid bill will boost growth and lower the chances for a double dip U.S. recession. Joe Biden's expected to push for more, of course, when he's sworn in as president on January the 20th. Oil is falling after an almost 3 percent drop in Monday. Investors fear the new variant will trigger new lockdowns and imperil global recoveries if it's found to be more transmissible than previous strains, which it would appear to be initially. And BioNTech says it is confident its vaccine will be effective against the new variant. If that changes, it says it can make a new version of the vaccine within weeks. Lindsay Piexa joins me. She's the chief economist at Stifel. Good to see you. Um, now, this is we're really in a very difficult position now, aren't we? Because uh, on, the, on the one hand, markets have well and truly priced in 
some the vaccine, the recovery, looking way down the road. But then the variant suggests this is not going to be that straightforward. So where do we stand? Oh, it's very difficult for investors at this point because the market is pricing in, as you mentioned, that earlier timetable for a widespread vaccination, assuming that there's essentially zero hiccups in terms of approvals, manufacturing, distribution, refrigeration, uh, administration. Um, and so it's going to be very difficult to actually reach that reality. Right now, there are a tremendous number of things that could go wrong, particularly in the U.S., as we see all 50 states responsible for developing and deploying their own vaccination uh, processes. So it, right now, I do think the market is a little over-optimistic, a little overly optimistic in terms of the timing for getting that vaccine out to the public and seeing a widespread inoculation occur, not only in the U.S., but on a global stage. So, so the, the stimulus pack, well, it's not stimulus, recovery package, the budget bill, the emergency aid bill that we're looking at the details now. Um, of all of those measures, I know they are needed, but there's a general view that they're not sufficient, that the, the more will be required. Do you hold that view? Well, it's certainly a step in the right direction, and we're getting much-needed aid to individuals and businesses that are struggling, that have lost their job, their livelihood, through no fault of their own, but by the government's own design. So I think it's widely accepted that we needed a fifth-round aid package. But the question is, will it be enough to jumpstart the U.S. economy? Probably not. More likely, it's uh, going to provide stabilization, so we avoid these wild swings in growth, as we saw in the second and third quarter. Now, in the details, we do see another round of direct checks to individuals, which certainly should help on an immediate stage. Uh, but the timing, it, it's a bit delayed to save the holiday spending season. But, Unemployment but, benefits and extension there will give a longer term support. But at the same time, because they're enhanced, uh, this may actually create a disincentive, Lindsay, make it more difficult for some businesses to rehire. But the, the, the money, the $600, will only work if people spend it. And I mean, there will be those who will, of course, need to use it to pay down debts. But this idea that somehow this is going to be a, um, a boost or a major boost to the economy, it won't be if people save it. No, certainly not. And that's what we saw with a lot of the funds that came through the CARES yeah. Act, if you remember, that was passed back in March. So, again, it's only going to be a sizable boost if those funds actually make it out into the marketplace. And we see this turnover in terms of consumers buying goods, businesses investing to stock their shelves for those goods to be consumed. But if we do see this saved, this widely saved or tucked under the mattress, it's going to have less of an impact. And again, even if we assume that all of those dollars are spent, it's going to be more of a stabilization factor as opposed to a sizable boost to growth. And in fact, I do think there's still a very large risk that the U.S. economy falls back into negative territory as we turn the corner into the new year. Finally, the, uh, this, just, uh, the measures taken that we're seeing, um, I guess it's the best you can hope for at Christmas. 
Well, we would have liked to have seen these measures come much quicker. Uh, it's very frustrating that it has taken months to reach this point. And we would have liked to have seen this shot in the arm for consumers, these additional checks, this additional extension of unemployment benefits. So having that spending power given to consumers on an earlier stage so they were able to go out and spend in the marketplace, which for many small businesses, this is the key season that consumers come out and support their business for the entire year in this small uh, four to six week period. So from a timetable standpoint, we certainly would have seen, we would have preferred to have seen this come to fruition much earlier. But of course, those in Washington were unfortunately dragging their feet. Lindsay, good to see you. Thank you. I wish you and your family the very best over the festive season. Thank you. Thank you. It Thank is you. first move. We will be off to the races. The market is due to open in just a few moments from now. to the races. The opening bell on Wall Street and already stocks. If you take a look, early trading, mostly lower for the Dow, but that is just one. Uh, the other indices are showing more enthusiasm. There we go. As you can see, the Nasdaq, a third of a percent up. This is all about hope that the new U.S. emergency aid bill will help boost growth. The president is set to sign the bill into law soon. And U.S. carriers are on the rebound in early trading. They fell sharply Monday on fears that new COVID variant will lead to more travel, travel curbs. OK, Tesla is trying to bounce. It fell 6% on uh, its S&P 500 debut. The stock slid amid reports that Apple's developing a self-driving electric vehicle. We'll talk more about that in a moment. This, of course, is a negative for Tesla because if Apple comes along and Peloton shares are rallying 10% in early trading, it's buying the exercise equipment firm Playcore to help ramp up production of its stationary bikes, which, of course, has been an important and hot item during the lockdown. Britain says it's working with France to open the border between the two countries. France imposed a 48-hour ban on all travel, including freight, after the discovery in the UK of the new variant. The long line of trucks is growing near the port of Dover in southern England. The crisis comes only days before the end of the Brexit transition period. William Bain is with me, the European and International Policy Advisor at the British Retail Consortium. Uh, William, th this is a... I, I mean, they're moving the trucks from near Dover port to, to this airfield. They're talking about potential um, testing. But the reality is, I mean, this 48-hour moratorium will be over before they've got any plans in place. Uh, hi, Richard. Uh, yes, we really do need a solution today because, of course, what's happening uh, affecting all of the supply chains between Great Britain and the EU and uh, GB and, and EU and GB is, of course, uh, lorries and trucks are going to be in the wrong place. Uh, and so whilst all the ingredients are there in the UK for people's Christmas dinners and lunches on Friday, um, it is going to cause disruption by the weekend um, if we don't get this sorted out today. So uh, we'd welcome what the European Commission has said this lunchtime, encouraging, I think, a resolution saying that you, you don't need to do uh, these rapid antigen tests in a way that disrupts transport and the mo movement of goods. We'd hope both sides would take that on board and get it sorted today. 
Right, but it's the, the problem is, I mean, the variant is already in, in continental Europe. The problem is, what do you do? I mean, do you have a testing regime, which would, even if it's a rapid testing regime, that we have with a 15-minute response, is that the answer, as some of like the Europe are suggesting, or versus these bans, these wholesale bans? Well, I think going back to the commission statement this this lunchtime, they're saying that these travel bans and uh, issues that are affect, affecting freight and the movement of goods, these are really strongly to be deprecated. And uh, I think if we can get a deal between the French government and the UK government today that sets down some clear protocols for testing of drivers who are leaving the UK and entering France, that should be the key to solving this. Um, but we need it to be a we need it to be a credible solution that's going to going to last and not change every two or three days, which has been what's happened over the last week. And, and of course, whatever is agreed, I mean, you talk about not ch- policy not changing every two or three days, but within the seven days, of course, uh, the end of the transitional period takes place, and we have no idea what will follow. Well, indeed. I mean, we know that even if there is a trade agreement, because the UK is leaving the customs union and single market, come what may, there will still be disruption. And the government's, uh, UK government's best uh, guess at what could happen could be 7,000 lorries queuing up in Kent per day, disruption of one to two days. Uh, That is going to affect supply chains. So, again, I think it would be improved if we get a deal. At least we we avoid tariffs. And we can make sure that right. border checks can be done in a pragmatic way. William, I just want to go back to what you were just saying a second ago about the EU's latest statement. Now, the EU is basically saying the Commission is urging EU member states to lift the bans on train and flights over the variant to supply to avoid supply chain disruptions. Non-essential travel, it says, should be discouraged. But but here's the point: doesn't this show a failing? in EU that, you know, three it's a, it's a classic, a day late and a, do, and a euro short to adapt the American saying. They should have been having a coordinated policy before everybody decided to do their own thing. Well, uh, we can have that discussion, but I think the key thing is the wheels are beginning to move now. And I think it's a strong encouragement to both the French government and the UK government, after all now a third country, um, uh, to reach an agreement here uh, and, and to get something that means that we can start to have these travel bans being lifted. And most importantly, we start to see the movement of goods and freight in an unrestricted way. Um, I mean, the problem we're going to... Sorry, one interesting thing I just wanted to quickly raise. I, I noticed that for a lot of those trucks and lorries where the goods are perishable and will have been not usable or whatever, there's no real insurance for that, is there? Well, indeed, that's that's a real problem. And, uh, of course, we know there's a lot of stockpiling going on elsewhere in terms of goods coming into the UK ahead of the end of the transition period. But in terms of perishable produce, um, you know, there is no way of, of stockpiling that. So um, if, if we don't get a resolution uh, within the next couple of, uh, really by today, and see the supply chains back to normal within a couple of days then we are going to see, one, I think, a kind of shortage of haulage and freight because drivers won't want to make the journey and lots of lost produce as a result.
good to, good to talk to you, sir. I'm sorry it's on such a depressing note that we end things, but uh, it is good to see you. Thank you, sir. And we'll stay on top Thank of the you. theme of now as we speak to the president of UPS and what it takes to deliver these vital vials on time. Right now, delivery companies are working to get authorised vaccines to people across the United States, across the world and across the European Union. Their role is crucial, especially given that Moderna's rollout, shortly to begin, is four times larger than that of Pfizer and BioNTech. UPS says it's providing support for eight of the 10 leading vaccines in clinical trials. Scott Price is the president of UPS International and joins me now. Scott, it is good to have you. Uh, so the, the EU has now approved uh, the, the vaccine, the BioNTech vaccine, and that is now starting to move across the union. Um, the difficulty of ensuring all 27 member states get the vaccine at the same time so they can distribute it themselves is quite Herculean. We uh, actually have been planning this for months and, and weeks, Richard. Uh, we, uh, we, for the European um, uh, sort of last mile context, we have a very large freezer farm near our Cologne hub, uh, which gives us access uh, to all of the EU. Um, we uh, are also uh, manufacturing 12, 12 tons of dry ice a day to be able to ensure that each one of the vaccine parcels is followed by dry ice to ensure that we have the integrity of uh, the temperature controlled uh, for Pfizer, that's minus 80 degrees Celsius, as you know. And then importantly, we have uh, UPS exclusive technology that'll allow our 24 seven control tower to ensure that if there's ever any disruption, whether it be weather, et cetera, that we can adapt quickly. So as of this date, we have 100% service on all of the vaccines that we've delivered thus far. When Moderna comes online, is that going to dramatically increase the pressure on the system? We have reserved sufficient space. And I, I think maybe what's missed is the actual density and number of vaccines within a, within a particular uh, package is pretty high. So uh, relative to the millions and millions that we process on a daily basis, uh, we have reserved premium space for the vaccines, but don't see the Moderna coming online as uh, creating any sort of capacity constraints for us. Uh, and I suppose, uh, you know, you are always looking forward, not in the rear view. You and I are talking now about rear view, about what you're moving now. But what you're doing now is you're planning uh, three, four months ago. So tell me, what are you planning now for three or four months hence? You know, we have uh, something called the peak, which in normal times uh, is usually just uh, the first uh, four weeks leading up to uh, Christmas and the end of the year. We have been living within peak for the last nine months. And peaks generally mean you can see upwards between 50 to 80% surged on a daily basis versus average. We've hired 100,000 people, uh, 40,000 permanent between April to June. Uh, as we emerge out of the traditional holiday peak, we will have more than enough capacity to be able to handle the vaccines as uh, they expand over the next three to four months. So so if we look at UPS in a more general sense, um, on the one hand, for the rest of the stuff that you're moving, the non-vaccine stuff, the, the bread and butter, if you like, we know there's been a dramatic increase in e-commerce, tremendous increase, which you're carrying a lot of it. At the same time, yeah. we know that there has been a sort of a fall off in trade and in retail trade in, in stores. If you balance that net net, where do you stand, do you think? 
So in our Q3 earnings, uh, we uh, forecasted that uh, this would be once again a record peak period for the three months that will mm -hmm. end 1231, a high single-digit increase. Uh, so the mix, you're right, has changed between residential and commercial. We see that as readapting. I think the question for all of us, how much of that B2C, that residential, will now be permanently baked? How fast and how far have we accelerated that move from the brick and mortar to the digital, I think we'll probably have a better idea at the end of next year. What's your gut feeling telling you? I think we've moved forward three to four years, accelerated really? that, it. Yeah, that, 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 that accelerant, which we're seeing just in our everyday lives. Scott, it really yes. is good to talk to you. I appreciate it. And um, I mean, all the best to you and your colleagues who are actually, you know, people like me say to talk about the vaccine, you're moving the, the thing around. Uh, good luck to you and your colleagues in doing Thank that. Thank you. Sir. Stay safe out there. Thank you. Now, South Korea's imposing tighter COVID restrictions for Christmas and New Year. It's calling it a special quarantine period. The country now faces a dire shortage of hospital beds for coronavirus patients amid a record number of cases. CNN's Paula Hancocks is in Seoul. No sooner are new ICU beds found than they are filled with more coronavirus patients. Up until Monday, the city of Seoul, with some 10 million residents, had fewer than half a dozen ICU beds available for days. At one point last week, there was just one. Seoul is now in the calm before the storm. If we do not overcome this explosion of new cases, Seoul may face empty streets and the lockdown, like New York and London. A ban on five or more gathering from Wednesday until January 3rd has already been announced for Seoul and its surrounding areas. The scramble is now on to find more beds. Seoul City says it will double the number of ICU beds by the end of the year. Officials say two coronavirus patients have died in the city this month alone while waiting for a bed. Kwon Sun Ho is a manager at Otec, a company that has been making negative pressure ambulances all year and is now focusing on mobile hospital beds. The medical carts, the medical supplying um, oxygen, oxygen unit uh, pots mm. and the emergency bell almost the same as a regular hospital bed. It's a little smaller because of the, this is a very portable uh, unit. So the plan at this point is to have 24 of these structures built by the end of the month, which would effectively give 48 extra hospital beds. They'll all be based here in the car park of this hospital. And the company making them says they are already in discussions with other places to replicate this elsewhere. Juan says they are currently in talks with every one of the 17 city and provincial governments in South Korea. Elsewhere in Seoul, shipping containers made into makeshift wards are already being used. Seoul City says they have fewer than 500 regular coronavirus beds left in hospitals. Not a single positive case, even asymptomatic, is allowed to recover at home. Everyone is admitted to a hospital or a government facility. Private and university hospitals have been ordered to secure at least 1% of their beds for coronavirus patients. Military hospitals also making room. Free anonymous testing is also underway at up to 150 temporary testing stations across Seoul. Long lines have been seen across the capital. Despite these efforts, health officials warn new daily cases will likely stay above 1,000 for at least the rest of the week. Paula Hancock's CNN Seoul. As we continue today, going up a self-driving car with breakthrough battery technology. If that sounds good to you, you're not alone. It was just the thing Elon Musk did not want to hear on the day his company made it into the S&P 500.
Kenya is famous for its runners, boasting Olympic champions and world record holders. What they wear during the competition is usually made outside the country. A local startup trying to change all of that, aiming to make running shoes for the world. And 2020, incidentally, has been the most successful year yet. Lenny Jarkos reports. This is the first ever running shoe made in Africa. The brand is called Enda, which means go in Swahili. The company was started by a Kenyan-American duo in Nairobi five years ago. The eyelets have red, green and black. That's the colors of the flag, uh, of the Kenyan flag. The logo represents the tip of a spear, a traditional hunting tool that can also be found in the country's coat of arms. The Ender team was determined the manufacturing process would benefit Kenyans. Although the majority of the materials are imported from China, the shoes are built here, just outside of Mombasa, where Ender employs 42 workers. I do feel so proud. I am so proud. Because I'm putting a shoe that comes from my country. I produce 250 pairs in a day. The shoes is light. Very light, very comfortable, very nice shoe. The brand has really started to make a name for itself. In 2020, Ender sold more than 7,000 pairs of trainers. That's 10 times as many as last year. 90% of orders came from the United States. I think there's a couple of factors that helped the brand, especially this year, become bigger. One, I think, uh, for instance, the social justice movement going on in the U.S., Black Lives Matter, and the whole idea to buy black, support black, and a lot of African brands and African-American brands have benefited from that. And so when you're looking at, especially the running space, how many running shoe companies are black-owned? I don't know. <laughs> Us, you know. <laughs> so that, that has definitely helped. The brand is sponsoring professional athletes who wear their shoes for training, like here in Iten, Kenya's famous high-altitude training base. In the future, the Ender team wants to make racing shoes too to help their athletes win Olympic medals and break world records. In the next five years, I definitely see us as a top three running brand, but I also wanted the brand to mean something, you know, like for it to be a cultural thing that you're not just wearing shoes, but you are part of a community. That community is growing around the globe as the brand is changing lives of hundreds back home. Eleni Jaka, CNN, Connecting Africa. Tesla shares are under pressure for a second day. Uh, they fell more than 6% on Monday. The firm made its S&P 500 debut. A new report says Apple could give it uh, some serious competition over the next few years. Paul LaMonica is with us. I mean, there's a lot of froth on that share price to come off at the first whiff of some heavy weather. Yeah, exactly, Richard. I mean, Tesla prior to yesterday was up 700% this year was easily the best performing stock in the S&P 500 now that it's part of that index. And the company's shares rose 70% alone just between the time of the announcement and the actual inclusion. So I think it's putting it mildly to say that there was some froth and it was due for get ready to groan and electric slide. 
The problem with Tesla is everybody's waiting for the price to come down to buy in again. Yeah, I think that it's a legitimate concern for investors. But, uh, you know, to Tesla's credit, they've split the stock to make it a little bit more affordable for average retail investors. And I'm not so sure that the high stock price has uh, really uh, you know, put a damper on demand just yet. But clearly, there are going to be concerns going forward about more competition. To be fair, though, I'm not so sure that this Reuters report about Apple is really something that Elon Musk has to be that concerned with just yet. Yes, it's Apple, the most valuable company on the planet. But the Reuters report suggests that it's not going to be until 2024, until it makes some significant headway on developing its own battery and actually a potential car. And there have been rumors about a mythical iCar before that have yet to come to pass. All right. Uh, uh, Paul, briefly, the, day, the market's just deciding which way to go and backwards. Yeah, I think there's still just a lot of concern right now about this new variant, whether or not it mm -hmm. will be resistant to some of the vaccines that have been developed, the Pfizer-BioNTech, as well as the Moderna one. We have the optimism about that stimulus bill finally going through. But, you know, $900 billion sounds like a lot, but it really isn't, given the state of the economy. And everyone's wondering what's next in 2021 under a Biden administration. And, oh, by the way, right. what's the Senate going to look like? We're still waiting for that Georgia runoff, which is going to be key. It takes place at the beginning of January, January 5th. Thank you, Paul and Monica, joining us. Now, that's uh, first move for this morning. Uh, you've got me all week, right the way through Christmas. I'm Richard Quest. Um, the market is betwixt and between. I will wrap up the market, close the day off for you in five hours' time with Quest Means Business. As always, no bell, but whatever you're up to between now and then, in the hours ahead, I hope it's profitable. See you at QMB.